All right, knock it off. We got stuff to do. If you don't have a Bible, you want one because we're just going to do a casual study through the entire Bible this morning. So raise your hand if you don't have a Bible. If you don't have one with you, the gentleman in the back will get one. You can see I clearly am not included on the pastor elder emails because everyone is in a suit and I am wearing this. But the gentleman would like to get you a Bible. You want it in your hand. I'd like to have you join me in the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, chapter 24. Luke 24. The greatest Bible teacher to ever live is who? Jesus. Do you guys know that? And Jesus preached the Bible. He taught the Bible. The the majority of his ministry was preaching and teaching. And we talked about Christ on the cross, and we talked about his atonement on the cross, but you notice that it it didn't end there. He said it's finished, and it didn't end there. And he went into the grave and he came out and he resurrected. Not to be confused with being revived. He brought people back to life, but they ultimately died. Jesus was once and for all resurrected. That's why they call him the firstborn of the dead. He resurrected from the grave. And the Bible records two Bible studies. Two Bible studies he taught before ascending. There's going to be future Bible studies. Can't wait for those, right? It's going to be way better than what's about to happen, right? Way better. Jesus is going to be at the head of the Bible study, but he saw fit after his death and resurrection to lead two Bible studies. And what's me, what to me is amazing is that they were both primarily about the exact same thing. And so we're going to see both of them here in Luke 24 as, as the greatest Bible teacher amid all the confusion of his death, among all the chaos and the mourning and the sadness, that yes, in fact, God come as man was murdered by a bunch of religious people. Amid all the chaos, amid all the confusion, Jesus says, you know what? I have some study for us. I have something I want to tell you. And if you look down at verse 23, it says, When they did not find Jesus' body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But Him they did not see. Then Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Pay attention. I don't know how long this Bible study went on. But they describe here, the, the, the Bible describes what he then launched into, seemingly for hours. It says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, I, I'm, I'm really glad it doesn't say to them all things in scripture concerning himself. It says, In all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jot down to verse 41, it says, But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? Dead for a couple days, probably hungry. (laughs) So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, Jesus, not a vegetarian, and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate in their presence. Listen, second Bible study. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms. That's just a way of saying the entirety of the Old Testament. That's all he had at that point. Jesus was the, the most amazing Bible teacher to ever live. He didn't even have the New Testament. All things, the law of Moses, prophets, the Psalms concerning me, and he opened their understanding that they may comprehend the scriptures. Jesus says there is one key, one key. There is one thing you must know if you're going to get any of it. It's that the entire Bible is about me. The entire Bible, every page, even that weird book, Esther, no God, no angels, no worship, no music, no Jesus, no God, no Holy Spirit, nothing. Yeah, still about Christ. 
everything in the Bible. And so you get, you get these concerns. You say people, well, how do Christians deal with the Old Testament? Because Jesus isn't there. And, and you know that Jesus never actually said the words, I am God, and yet you think he is God. So clearly, you're distorting his words, and there's various interpretations, and there's lots of confusion. Jesus shows up. He knows this is going to happen. He's resurrected his final Bible studies. He expounds to them that everything in the Bible is about him. And so, by the grace of God, we're going to do a study through the entire Bible this morning. You ready? Seatbelts? On? Good? It starts in Genesis. I I titled this Solus Christus, which is one of the five theological thrusts that came out of the Protestant Reformation. Okay? Sola Scriptura, word alone. Sola Fide, by faith alone. Sola Gratia, grace alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Soli Deo Gloria, to glory of God alone. Those are the five main theological thrust that came out of the Protestant Reformation. And solus Christus is this idea that there is but one mediator between us and God. There is no need for the papacy. There is no need for pope or penance or purgatory. We have Jesus who's our high priest, our senior pastor. He's our payment. He's our propitiation. That's eight Ps if you were counting. Okay? Big fan of alliterations. Okay? So solus Christus is that, and no one's really surprised by that. The Christians in the room, the non-Christians in the room, no one's really surprised by that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but me. by me. I'm a Christian. I think it's only Jesus is the way to heaven. People are like, not surprised. Anything new for me or can we go? All right? And Jesus shows up and he says, look, but what you need to understand is that, no, it is only through me and everything is about me. Everything. I'll show you. It starts off in Genesis. It says, in the beginning, God, which is singular plurality, so he's there too, created. In the beginning, God created. Did you know that created is Jesus? He wasn't created. He's the one doing the creating. I'll show you. Colossians 1.16. It says, for by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. All things were created through him and for him. All things. You know that we don't create anything? We just assemble. Did you know that? There's not a single person here who's created anything. I, I'm a very creative art. No, you've just, been a, you've just compiled what, G, what God originally created. We assemble. Flavor. You ever thought about that? No one here invented flavor. What we've done is taken f- existing flavors, put them together, and said, well, that's a derivative flavor. Yeah, you didn't create it. You just put it together. You, we are assemblers of what God has created. We don't create raw material. We don't. And so God creates everything. And when he does so, the whole Genesis 1 is just a sermon. God said, and that was Jesus. God said, and that was Jesus. God said, God created, God formed. All of that, the mode by which all things were created is Jesus. Right off the bat, you don't get the first five words of the Bible, you don't get the Bible. It's all about Jesus. Then you launch into the Old Testament. You say, well, Jesus is not there. The name is not there. It is a mean God of the Old Testament that kills people. Spent a couple hundred years, went through therapy, sent Jesus to apologize for being mean. And then we just move forward. And then he comes back in Revelation. He's clearly angry and he's got a tattoo and he wants to fight with everyone. And so we're trying to figure out what to do with this Jesus that floats around in a man dressed with Fabio hair, right? And what you need to understand is that Jesus always has and always will be. Always. I'm going to show you no less than seven ways in your own studies to to see Jesus in the Old Testament. Because here's the point. Our job as pastors is not to do a bunch of homework, stand up on Sunday, and prove to you that we've done our homework. That is not the way it goes. It's me spending six days getting beat over the head by God, to say, look, this is how I need to chasten you so that you can what? Equip. Equip. So that you can be equipped. Jesus sat down with the disciples after dying and said, you know what? I'm going to hold two Bible studies. I'm going to equip them to launch the entirety of the church. And it was about one thing, the entire Bible being about Jesus. Fitting, right? So Jesus in the Old Testament Where on earth do we get this understanding? Where do we get this concept? Let's go. It starts with Christophanies. Perhaps the most obvious. These are appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament before he was born of Mary on earth. He has always been, will always be, John 1, 1. We all know it. The word was with God. The word was God. Right? Always. Wasn't created. He does the creating. We're all created beings, not the creator. 
And so as the eternal son of God, Jesus, again, the name's not there because he wasn't given until the incarnation. Don't let that stress you. The eternal son of God, that's Jesus, walked with Abraham in Genesis 17. He provided sacrifice in Isaac's place in Genesis 22. He wrestled with Jacob in Genesis 32. He appeared to Moses in Exodus 3. He said, I am who I am. He joined Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the furnace in Daniel 3. He called Isaiah into ministry in Isaiah 6. And then in John 12, Jesus says, Isaiah peeked into heaven, saw the throne, saw my robe, saw my glory. Guess who that was? That was me. He says, God cracks open heaven. Isaiah's like, dude. And Jesus later comes back and says, hey, Isaiah, you remember that whole like awkward thing where we like peeked up in heaven? That was me. Jesus was there. The second is types. You're going to see types. And what these are is these are figures and institutions. And again, I want you to embolden you to just pick up that Old Testament Devo that you're like, nah, I think I'll do John again. You know? I'll do one of the Gospels. And, and we're so slowly, subtly becoming like red-letter Christians. I just stick to the red text because that's what Jesus was about. Read the text where he says the whole thing's about me, so knock it off, right? Dig back into the Old Testament. It's okay. You should be emboldened because the whole entirety of the Old Testament points to Christ. You have to understand that. And so you've got types, you've got figures and institutions that prefigure and foreshadow the coming. I'll give you a few examples We've got Adam in Genesis, but we've got the second Adam according to 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 5 in Jesus. You've got the priesthood. We've got the great high priest according to Hebrews. So every time you come across a priest, you know that that guy's role is being orchestrated by God was to be in a role so that it would point to, though they were not sinless or blameless, he says, look, I'm establishing the priesthood so that people will know they need an ultimate high priest. That's the point. So the priesthood, every time you come across that in the Old Testament, that's a prefiguration of Christ. You've got David and the other kings that prefigure the king of kings. You've got Moses and the prophets that prefigure the final prophet. You've got animal sacrifices that prefigure the sinless lamb of God as our sacrifice. You've got the temple which prefigures God coming to people, having a presence among his people, foreshadowing God coming to his people in the form of Jesus Christ. You've got shepherds who tend their flocks to prefigure the good shepherd. You've got the judges that prefigure the capital J judge. It says in John 5 that for the father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the son. We started Revelation in the college ministry last night and, and one of the first things that John does as he peeks into, as he sees this glimpse of eternity in heaven is he, he begins to the best of his ability describe Jesus and he gets to his feet and he says his feet were like brass that had been refined in a furnace and fire is this picture, this epic picture of judgment. Jesus has been judged. He was judged on your sin so that when you die, you will be judged on his account. See how that works? That's like the great exchange. Let's tell you what, I'm going to go to the cross with all your muck so that when you come before God, it won't be about you. Right? A lot of you think you're going to stand before the judge and you're going to give an account for your life by going through good works. Telling him what you didn't do, right? How sick are we or Christians that define themselves by what they don't do? Well, I don't do this. Awesome. Right. Terrific. Right? God comes, he says, and, and Satan in that epic picture in Revelation, Satan is leveling all the accusation, everything you've done, every time you've watched porn, every time you've gossiped, every time you've sworn, slandered, and dishonored your parents and lied and cheated and stealed, done drugs and alcohol, to drunk, all that sort of stuff. He lays it out and Jesus, in an epic scene from no movie ever, as a lawyer, says, you know what, you're right. Uh, Satan's right. It's, you did all that, right? You're like, well, yeah, but I figured... I mean, I figured you'd be a better lawyer than that. <laughs> and what does Jesus do? He says, hey, dad, it's not about him. It's not about her. It's about me. And then God is redirected to Jesus. And he says, oh, he, she's with you? Well, then enter in. Because he took all that sin to the cross and he put it in the grave. It's the only way. Solus Christus. It's Christ alone. And so you see this, again, is this, is this picture of judges in the Old Testament for the father judges no one. You see other epic areas like bread and vine and light. And, um, and again, all these are types. We've got Christophanies, we've got types. And then we've got number three is analogous service. These are tasks people perform that Jesus accomplishes and performs perfectly in his earthly ministry and in his heavenly ministry for eternity. I'll give you a couple examples. 
as the last Adam, Jesus covered with his righteousness the sin entered by our first parents. Jesus, as the true and better Abel, you remember Cain and Abel? Though innocent, Jesus slain, his blood cries out for acquittal. Jesus, as the greater Abraham, left his father and his home to serve people and God's church, just as Jesus left father and heaven. Jesus is the greater Isaac who carried his own wood to his sacrifice of himself. He's the greater Jacob that wrestled with God in the garden and walked away from the grave. Jesus is the greater Joseph that serves at the right hand of God. Jesus is the greater Moses, mediates between God and man, bringing the new covenant where Moses had brought the old covenant. Jesus is the greater Job that, was suf- that suffered and was tormented by the devil so that God may be glorified while friends were of no help or encouragement. Jesus is the greater David who slayed giants of Satan and sin and death through the eyes of the world, though it was certain that he would suffer defeat. He's the greater Jonah that spent three nights in the grave, not just a fish to save the multitude, even larger than Nineveh. That's you. He's the greater Boaz that redeemed Ruth and brought her from her and her despised people into community with God, foreshadowing Jesus doing the exact same thing with his church. He's the greater Nehemiah that rebuilt Jerusalem for God's people, foreshadowing Jesus who is currently building a new Jerusalem when heaven and earth touch for us on earth. He is the greater Hosea who married an unfaithful wife whom he continued to pursue in love, foreshadowing the heart of Jesus who does the same with his unfaithful bride, the spiritual prostitutes, that's us. We just got done with our summer study through Hosea and there's no more clear picture of the fact that Hosea, a prophet, a man of God, was told to marry a prostitute so that he would endure that marriage and understand that Jesus is doing the same thing with us. And we run from him and we run to our idols and we run to sexual sin and and any other sort of deviance and we run and we run and we run and we run. And what did Hosea do? He pursued her. Our God is a God that pursues, not one that says, you screwed up, I'll wait till you come back to me. He says, through repentance, I'm on your heels the whole time. You turn from your sin, I'm right there. He's been following you the whole time. He's the greater Hosea. Those are all analogous service which Jesus perfects in his ministry. Number four is events. You just need to know that when you come across an event in the Old Testament, this is all orchestrated by God to show you the coming Christ. We'll do one. We'll do Exodus, right? We'll just do a book real quick, okay? People enslaved to a cruel tyrant ruled over them. Some of you are like, well, I'm not. I'm in America. I'm free. Uh, I I deal with enough guys that are uh, struggling with porn right now that I know for a fact we are enslaved. We are enslaved. I can't leave the gym without being stopped for 15 minutes, and I'm happy to do it. Hey, man, you you keep bringing up porn. Yeah, and I was addicted for 17 years. We are enslaved to that. The language is used. I was at the gym yesterday and one of the younger kids came up and said, oh, I want to send you a workout. Slides open his iPhone. What do you think is right there? Naked girl. You're not enslaved to that? No, man, I'm free. I'm a man. No, you're a slave to that. Same is the case for all sin. Don't look down. Same is the case for all sin. So we're, we're people enslaved to a cruel tyrant that ruled over them and there is no way we can liberate ourselves. None. See, a lot of you believe that being a Christian is about overcoming your sin. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not that you can overcome your sin. The gospel is that Jesus already has. You need to rethink that. And when you realize that, when you understand that you're in that relationship, grace and mercy are no longer a license for sin because you don't want to betray the one that bestowed that upon you. I'm married to Carissa. It makes me sick to think of the thought of cheating on her. Sick. How sick then too should sin make us feel? That we've been graced. And so it's not that you have to do anything to be saved. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. You can take it to the bank. But when you are truly in Christ, the title Christian used twice in the New Testament, right? It's, not a t- it's, just, it's just a title for us to identify ourselves. That's great. Hundreds of times it says your identity is, quote, in Christ. There's a difference. Stop throwing the title around. We're not doing a very good job of representing it anyways. And we just throw the title around like, well, I'm a Christian, well, I'm a Christian, well, I'm a Christian. Are you in Christ? Do you have a regenerated spirit? Do you have a regenerated heart? Do you have new desires? Do you not? I came to a place in my life where I finally asked God, and I truly humbly did. I said, make me sick of pornography. Make me actually hate pornography, because I never did. Oh, it's terrible. It's bad. Do you hate it? Uh, That's different. And I asked him for new desires and by his grace, we serve a God that can just flat out change your emotions. 
try preaching that to the secular world. It just feels so natural. Yeah, your nature fractured. Ask for a new one. That's my emotions. Get new ones, right? <laughs> ask God. It's in a, I'll give them to you. You got to ask, right? Like, how did you get this from Exodus, right? So, <laughs> no way they could liberate themselves from captivity. God comes, he invites even those who are enemies to trust in him. He provides a mean by which we can be free. It began with the Pharaoh. Hearts become harder. You know the story. God says that he will no longer allow it. He brings death to the firstborn. <whistles> Sound like anyone you know? Except homes with what? Faith? Blood of the sacrifice marked the faithful. The death would pass over, foreshadowing all of this. The entire event of the Exodus foreshadows that Jesus would deliver his people out of bondage. The whole thing. So that's an event. Number five, scrolling through the Old Testament, probably skipping numbers on the way, right? No one's read numbers, okay? We've all tried. We've gotten maybe two, three chapters in, okay? You're laughing because it's true. That's not true. Yeah, it is true. Titles. Titles are ways that you can just see, again, God instilling titles in people to say, look, the Messiah is coming. But he, wants us to, he wanted them to have a taste of what was to come on earth. So titles like the suffering servant in Isaiah 40 through 66, first and the last, Revelation 22, light, rock, husband, bridegroom, shepherd, redeemer, savior, lord of glory. Son of man is used over 80 times in the four gospels alone. Where do you think they got that? Daniel. Old Testament. Old Testament. It's a title for the Messiah. So titles, when you come across those, don't just scroll right by them. Those are titles that are indicating something. The entirety of the Bible is about Jesus. 1,500 years, 66 books, 40 authors, three continents, three languages, one central theme, that's Christ and no contradictions. That's the Bible. That's how you hold it. You hold that, and it's true. Number six, prophecy. Did you know that about a quarter of the Bible at the time of its writing was prophetic in nature? That's a lot. A quarter. So I don't trust the Bible. Okay, bridge this conversation. Could you give me one prophecy that is supposed to have come true by now that hasn't? Just one. Let's start there. A hundred percent of the time, Jesus bats a thousand all season long. He bats a thousand. Everything comes true. And have you read Revelation? I love me some Revelation. It's going to come true. So you're like, well, that's just like a weird Steven Spielberg movie or they don't even know what it is. It's, it's just weird. It's not really going to be like that. It is. It is. It's going to happen. You're going to die. Jesus is going to come back. And he, I love what he does. He, like, he, gives, he always gives ultimatums. You know, he's like, tell you what, um, you can bow to me or you can bow to me. It's up to you. <laughs> oh, that's a God I like. Some options, you know. Is there a seat? Yeah, you can bow. Right? He shows up, he says, look, kings will be subservient to me. Rulers will be subservient to me. He will rule over all. Do you know who stands over hell? Jesus. Revelation 1. We all think like it's a drunk tank, the local jail. Like it's where the party people go to get it figured out. Right? Like uh, Satan's down there stoked. He's like, well, it's hot, but at least we got our own pad. Right? <laughs> He's not stoked on hell. He hates it. He's tormented. Hell was created for him and his demons. We're the ones with our sin asking to go there. It was not created for us. It wasn't. And it says in Revelation 1 that Jesus holds the keys to hell. So people are like, well, I don't want to deal with Jesus, so I might as well just party and whatever. I'll go to hell. Awesome. Still going to deal with Jesus at that point. He stands over hell. He reigns over heaven. He's got his boot on the throat of hell. Does that scare you? Is it Jesus loves me, this I know, all day long? Or can you serve a God that comes back, slaughters his enemies, says, I, want, I, I wish that none should perish, but I'm a holy and righteous God and I can't have anything dirty with me. And he stands over hell, he stands over heaven. And so prophecy, it's gonna come true. I'll give you a few examples, we'll tear through this. A thousand years before Christ in Psalm 16. Well, actually before that, Jesus would be born in Bethlehem of a virgin, come to the temple, and come to the temple before 70 AD when it was destroyed. That happened. A thousand years before Christ, Psalm 16, you will not abandon my soul to the grave or let your holy one see corruption. A thousand years before Christ in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Sound familiar? A thousand years before Jesus in Psalm 22, it says, dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil men has encircled me. They pierced my hands and my feet. This is hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. And crucifixion, when invented, was not through the hands and the feet. You know how the Persians kicked off the whole thing? Something called impalement. 
It was not even, when it came about, they started, to, they started to come up with crucifixion, which had been prophesied. It began with impalement, which is one pull through the midsection of someone propped up and left to die, usually from the back. And so thousand years before, hundreds of years before they even began to experiment with it, the Bible says, Jesus is coming. And yeah, it's gonna be, at that point, it'll be through his hands and his feet. A thousand years before Jesus in Psalm 41, it says, even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me as Judas' betrayal. Raising heel is the ultimate sign of disrespect. Before you go to Iraq, I was in the Marine Corps. Before you go to Iraq, you go to cultural classes. Day one, two minutes in, don't show them the bottom of your feet. That's a big sign of disrespect, Middle Eastern culture. It's the ultimate sign of disrespect. This is prophesying a thousand years ahead of time. The ultimate betrayal will take place at the dinner table. Thousand years. 700 years, Isaiah 50, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid my face from disgrace and spitting. 700 years before Jesus, in Isaiah 52, it says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. He shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred behind, beyond human semblance. His mom didn't even recognize him. And his form beyond the children of mankind. Prophecy. The whole thing points to something. What is prophecy? Prophecy is God's word to flesh pointing to God's word as flesh. Simple definition. How do I know if it's true? Does it point you to Jesus? No, it says we should build a compound in Montana, not pay taxes and marry little girls. Not prophecy. Not prophecy. Why? How do you know? What, what do say? Because I've got the Bible to test the spirits. And if it doesn't point me to Jesus, it doesn't point me to the one true living God, it's not prophecy. It's you lying to serve your selfish purpose. And so prophecy all points to Jesus. The, the last one, I wish I could do in a whole unpacking of this. We'll do it real fast. This clarifies a lot for a lot of people, especially you college students. I've been there. It wasn't too long ago. It's getting longer, but right? You see this all the time. What do you hear? Christians pick and choose. You pick and choose. You say some things are sin because of the Old Testament, but then you neglect the rest. Anyone here wearing a shirt that's made of at least two fabrics? Levitical law, you're all sinning. And some of you are like, I have no clue right? You can't mix fabrics, Old Testament law. Do you know that? You can't. You're picking and choosing. No, we understand because Jesus fulfills the law. Three general buckets, real quick, civil, ceremonial, and moral. Civil is about the nation of Israel under the theocracy of God. It says, look, we need to set up a civil arrangement so that you guys can be set apart from the rest of the world. So God himself just shows up and says, tell you what, here's how the judicial system works. Here's how you're to interact with people. In a civil society, God dictated the law. All foreshadowing what? That Jesus would ultimately come and be the law. He would fulfill the law. He would be the standard that set us apart. So you got the civil law. So as you're reading through the Old Testament, you're like, oh man, and and you realize this this is a harsh judgment. Speaking of prophecy, right? Deuteronomy, I think 13 and 18. What are we supposed to do with false prophets? Kill them. Kill them. You, you prophesied that, that we were going to be attacked again after 9-11? Pastors have done this. Good Bible-believing, Jesus-loving pastors have done this. Like, well, we're going to be attacked. God told me. Okay, it didn't happen. Deuteronomy, should we kill you now? That's harsh. That's weird. It's an ordination ceremony. I should be happy, right? <laughs> right? But why? Why don't we kill false prophets anymore? It's part of the civil law. Jesus comes, he fulfills it. Not necessary anymore. He perfected it. It's done. Doesn't mean it didn't exist or we can't learn anything from it. It's been fulfilled. Ceremonial, all the priestly cleanliness laws, scrubbing the food, washing the hands, purifying stuff, not eating certain food. Praise God, not in the Old Testament, right? Anyone else like bacon? Cool, me too, right? And so all that sort of stuff. And he says, look, again, to set you apart, to understand something, and Jesus comes, he fulfills it. He touched the leper. It was okay. And in that second, the the, the leper was healed. In that second, he fulfilled it. He didn't violate the law. He fulfilled it. He said, look, it ends with me. But then there's moral law. Why do we still subscribe to the Ten Commandments? Old Testament, right? Why? Because moral law is God setting up his nature and his order. And he says, this is who I am. This is how I want you to process me. 
He does it in marriage. He does it in family. He does it in work. He does it in masculinity and femininity. And he instills it in our emotional makeup and our DNA. He says, look, this is what you need to know about me. Jesus comes. He fulfills it, but that doesn't mean that it ceases to be true. Jesus comes and says, okay, God is love. Jesus shows up, amazing. He is love. People are like, okay, well, Jesus came, so is he done being love? No. But we don't have to wash stuff? Exactly. Why? Because he fulfilled it. But it's a different thing. No, it's not. You have to understand the three general buckets. He fulfilled civil. We don't need it. We're under Christ now. He fulfilled ceremonial. We don't need it. We're under Christ now. He fulfilled moral, and we know that what God says about his order and his nature is true because of Jesus, and it continues to be true. Amen? That's the Old Testament. Now you get to the part where you're like, well, okay, let's slide right into the New Testament and let's deal with Jesus' words. Let's deal with the New Testament, these claims of God and, and, and Paul was a narcissist and these guys were just writing and, and conjuring up all this sort of stuff. I'm gonna show you no less than nine ways, no, nine reasons we worship Jesus as God because he never said, I am God. Some of you are like, well, your slide is wrong then because the first one says, said he was God. He never said the words, I am God. He didn't. But he said, he was God in this manner. In John 10, he says, I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him. The religious people answered him saying, for a good work, we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. They were there. They knew exactly what he was saying. They were there, and they hated him for it. And we're like, oh, I think we read that wrong. I don't really, he never really said, I am God. He said, look, I and the Father are one. Why are you stoning me? Because you've made yourself to be God. They got it. You line up all the world religion leaders, Buddha, Krishna, Charles Tussle Ray, Charles Tussle, Charles Taze Russell, sorry, right? Joseph Smith, Muhammad, Buddha, are you God? No, man, I never said to be God. Krishna, mm-mm. Charles, nope. Joseph Smith, nope. Muhammad, I peeked into heaven once, pipe down, Muhammad, relax, right? <laughs> G- he gets worked up a lot. Jesus, Jesus over at the end like, hey, Jesus, are you God? I'm God. That's a good place to start right? I'm not that bright. Marines, right? Not known for being like, you know, incredibly intelligent, right? You don't join the Marine Corps because you're like wicked smart, okay? Right? <laughs> Any other Marines, former Marines? Put your hand. You know what I'm talking about. Jeez, come on. We weren't like breaking records over there or anything. <laughs> breaking countries and stuff. All right, so you, you go over to Jesus. And he's like, well, I'm God. That's a great place to start, right? None of these other guys claim this. That's just the first time. So when people come up to you and say, why is Jesus God? Do you have an answer? I'm going to give you nine. Number two, he said he came from heaven. I'm from Chicago. Went to high school in Minneapolis. Where are you from? Anyone here from heaven? Let me know. Anyone? We can go talk in that dark room back there, right? (laughs) With some of the elders dressed in suits. It'll be a whole mob hit. It'll be tight. (laughs) Jesus says, I'm from heaven. Where are you from, Muhammad? Where are you from, Buddha? Where are you from? Everyone from places on earth. Jesus says, I'm different. I'm different. Jesus says in John 16, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Yeah, he was born of Mary. He came into the world via Mary. That's not where he's from. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Number three, Jesus said he was sinless. No one claims to be sinless. No one. Muhammad, Mother Teresa, the Pope, No one, Buddha, none of them claim to be sinless. Jesus is a radical in all these claims. Total radical. And we lump him in like he's a good moral teacher like the other guys. This is the antithesis of a good moral teacher. If he's just that. If I say I'm sinless, what are three or four of the guys going to do? You're going to follow me around today, right? You're going to be like, I don't believe it. I'm following you. And you're going to find, in, in probably in like the next two minutes or whatnot, you're like, see, dude, send. I can tell, right? No one claims it because people will ask you to back it up. Jesus said, John 8, which of you convicts me of a sin? He says, tell you what, just give me one. Give me one that I've committed. One. They have nothing. The people that were there have 
Nothing. The people that have been following him around, they've been sending delegations from Jerusalem to investigate him. No one has a thing on him. He says, I'm sinless. He says, why do you not believe me? Number four, Jesus forgives sin. Matthew 9 says, then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. And this flies in the face of, of modern counseling. And, and, and no counselor says like, you know what? Tell you what, I'm going to forgive you of all your sins. No one says that. No one says it. The other world re- leaders never said that. That is not a burden they want to bear. Because deep down, I think they know what that costs. And so he says, I forgive sin. Again, this is Christ alone. Number five, Jesus said he was the only way to heaven. Jesus said to her in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. John 14, Jesus said to him, I am the way, not a way. I am the way, the truth, not a truth, and the life, not a life. No one, no one. And I I conferred with Marty, um, Brett, Pastor Rob. We got together yesterday. It was about three and a half hours. We did a word study. We did confirm no one does mean no one, Okay. So we took a look at all the texts, ancient, Aramaic, Greek, all this. No one means zero, none, okay? So just, that didn't happen. I lied to you. I told you in two minutes I'd sin. Okay, so <laughs> I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Christians are narrow-minded. On salvation, we are because Jesus was. Here's the difference. We are the most exclusively inclusive faith on the planet. It has nothing to do with where you're from, what your parents have done, your deeds, your works, your separated ego, your any of that. It says, you know what? Jesus is the only way we're narrow, and guess what? Everyone's invited. We are inclusively exclusive. We are exclusively inclusive. Jesus says, I am the way. So are we narrow-minded on salvation? Yeah, not arrogantly. We're not to be jerks about it. We're just to invite them along for the ride. Everyone is welcome. Number six, Jesus confirmed to others that he was God. They said, you didn't really understand. The fr- <laughs> Jesus, hey, come here. Um, so some people have been um, talking. They said you said you were God. So tell you what, we just want to get you back on the record. Um, give you a little chance to clarify yourself. This is one of my favorite scenes. Super awkward. I probably would have laughed um, or killed someone. One of the two. Um, Matthew 26, it says, but Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath of the living God. So it's like, Jesus, do you swear on yourself? Okay? (laughs) Jesus is like, I think I could handle that. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, it is as you said. Tell these guys you didn't really mean you're God. No, I meant it. That's what I said. He confirmed it. And then what happens? Jesus continues, he says, Nevertheless, I say to you hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. This is prophetic. It's Old Testament. We talk about the clouds. They know that's how the Messiah is going to come. What does the priest do? Gets super awkward, tears off Jesus' clothes. Bam! No! And Jesus is like, it got awkward and drafty at the same time. And God is standing there naked, like, dude, freaking out right now. Relax there, pastor, right? Tears his clothes off, right? Why? Because Jesus was a radical in what he claimed. He left no one unsure about who he was. No one. We act like it's unclear. Like even the red text is unclear. No, it's not. Number seven, Jesus accepted worship as God. This would make him the anti-good moral teacher. If you're a good moral teacher, you don't accept worship as God. If I tell you to worship me as God, run. That makes me a really terrible teacher. So people say, they clump him in. He's a good moral teacher. He taught us good things. He accepted worship as God. That's a cult leader if he's not. It's a cult leader. Jesus was God. When they bowed in front of him in the boat on the the, the lake, he didn't say like, whoa, whoa, get up, get up. Have you read the Old Testament? God will kill you for that. One God. Don't, no, 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 no. No, he accepted it. Why? Because he was one with the Father. He says, you can worship me because I am God. And that's in Matthew 14. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly you are the son of God. Number eight, Jesus performed miracles. 
feeding, walking on water, healing, raising of the dead. His greatest miracle, of course, was his resurrection. And after the resurrection, he taught a Bible study. Maybe it's because I'm egotistical, similar to this one. And he said, tell you what, we're just going to unpack the whole Bible. And do you guys want to do that? Did you bring your pens? And he, I don't know how long it took, but that must have been the most amazing Bible study ever, followed up by another one. Jesus going line by line through the Bible. It's all about me. Perform miracles, he says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must be, suffer, must be rejected and suffer many things. After three days rise again, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man in three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's Matthew 12 and Mark 8. Jesus performed miracles. He took your sin to the cross. Jesus became your sin. And how does God deal with sin? He shows us how we should deal with our sin. So all the sin is laid upon Jesus' shoulder. And Jesus looks up. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he do this? Because God had turned from him at that point. God the Father had turned from him. Their eternal communication, their eternal unity was broken for a second because God showed us, look, when you've got sin in your life, you turn from it and then you put it to death. And that's what he did with Jesus. And that's repentance. You turn from and put to death your sin because that's how God dealt with your sin. So that's how you deal with your sin. I'm, pr- I'm pretty stoked. Like he just like showed us. You're like, well, how, what does repentance look like? Just look to the cross. That's what God did. He didn't have to repent of sin, but he dealt with our sin on Jesus by turning from and putting it to death. Perform miracles. Number nine, he knew the future. Wouldn't we love to know the future, right? Like if you could get it right like 51% of the time, you'd be a trillionaire right? 25% of the time. What are the bookies like banking on? Like, you know, right? Wouldn't you love to know? Like I said, every single prophecy that should have come true by now has come true a thousand percent, a thousand percent. He predicted the disciples' betrayal. He knew he would rise from the dead, on and on and on. This list alone, I would say, is a great start to understanding that Jesus says, it's all about me. And then revelation comes, which I just started with the college ministry last night. Right? Can't wait. Thug Jesus, Revelation 19, tattoo, blood dip robe, the whole gig, right? Love it. Love it. You guys do not love it. You're like, okay? I'm never reading that book, right? And Revelation comes. And this is this epic, amazing glimpse into the future. It's all future. It's all future. It's all future. It's the coming Christ. It's the consummation of all things. The finalization of everything. Jesus is coming back. And more, almost 70% of the verses in Revelation do what? They reference the Old Testament. Why? Because the entire Bible comes full circle. I've got the actual numbers because I'm a dork. I didn't do the homework. I just found a guy that did and then ripped his numbers. 278 of the 404 verses, that's almost 70%, and some 500 allusions draw you back to the Old Testament because Jesus at the end reveals himself. He says, it's always been about me. It will always be about me. And one of the ways that I'm gonna reveal myself is by showing you the future as it relates to the past. And the whole thing is encompassed in Jesus showing up and saying, disciples, I know you're scared. I know you're freaked out. I was dead. Now I'm back. We're hanging out. We're camping again. The whole deal. He says, you know what? Two Bible studies, and I want you guys to know this. I want you to know, be encouraged in the fact you can open up any page in the Bible and see me. That's what he saw fit to do. So the first five words of Revelation are what? The revelation of Jesus Christ. You don't get the first five words of Revelation, you're going to get caught up in the Antichrist, you're going to get caught up in all the crazy imagery, you're going to get caught up in the beast, the marks, everything. If you're just going to blow right by the fact that this is not only Jesus revealing himself, but he's the one being revealed. It's twofold. Jesus does the revealing and he's revealing himself. And so how do we know we understand scripture? How do you know? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit authored and interprets scripture. There's a lot of interpretations out there. True, there's only one correct one. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And my job as a pastor is not to come up here and give you my opinion. It's to spend six weeks with God getting beat over the head, getting him to refine me and say, look, you want to say this, but that's not from me. This is what the text means. And we simply come and try to gush it out in 50 minutes. That's what all the pastors do. That's what the elders do when they teach. They simply submit themselves to the, insp- in the inspired interpretation of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus in John 5 says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think 
you have eternal life. You're digging through the Bible. You're like, you know what? I need to do Bible study. Pastor, where's Calvary Chapel? We gotta read the Bible. We gotta get a Bible study. We gotta figure out what to do. We gotta take a look at the law. We gotta take a look at all that. Jesus says, you're looking for life in the scriptures, but unless you miss me, it's not there. Then he says, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Jesus says, all scripture points to me. You want life? The Bible is a tool to get you to Jesus. Every page saturated with Jesus. Old Testament, New Testament, Revelation, it's all saturated in Jesus. How do you know you understand scripture? When you love and serve Jesus. That is the point. And I'll leave you with the last verse in the entire Bible that says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the blessing of your word. We thank you that you've enabled us to know you through the study of your scriptures. And they really are yours. You saw fit to orchestrate 66 books over 1,500 years by some 40 authors on three continents and three languages, never once to contradict itself because you wanted to get across one point. You saw fit to use PowerPoints and slides and the internet and pastors and service and Bible studies and events and barbecues in the park for one purpose. You saw fit to instill marriage and family and work and relationships and emotions for one reason, and that's Jesus. We pray a renewed sense of encouragement and confidence that we can open up your word because we know for a fact it's all about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well done, Pastor Mark. Amen. Sarah, you want to give us another song? Come on. Yeah, come on up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want you. And listen, we'll, we'll stand for the last song. And if you got to go, you can go while we're standing. But I, Sarah's here, and so we're going to use her. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Well, um, you know, when I come here, I don't ever, ever. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you still talking? Oh, Lord. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry. Yeah. Hi. Okay. Love you. <laughs> okay. So um, how about this? I thought um, since you're letting me do an extra one, I thought I would give you, when I come here, I always sing the ones that I'm, um, I want to sing you a new song is what I'm trying to say. Um, spit it out. You know, oh, right? I'm spitting it out. Oh, not you. I want to sing you a new song. I want to sing a song that, um, that I've only played one other time, and it was this morning. Um, and I wrote maybe two days ago. So um, this is very, very, very new, still in refining. But um, I just got a good feeling about it. I wrote it after I thought, um, I can't, just to let you know, I, I can't have kids because of abuse, okay? And I thought I was pregnant for a, a second. And, and then, um, and then it, it turned out to be something else. So I was super excited and then super disappointed. This came right after. Okay, so anyway, la, 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 la. I love you, your family. I told you way too much. TMI, sorry. Okay, awkward filter. I was born without one. Okay, so, um, but I wanted to let you in on this song and just, um, because you're my friends. And because I think it's a good one. <laughs> so please, 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 stand, stand up and just know that this is, um, it's, it's worship. It's incredibly hopeful. It's not sad. Don't worry. The first part is okay, but not the rest. And I'm not offended if you have to leave at all. Okay. As long as you buy my CDs on the way out. <laughs> okay. Love you. I try not to ask why Cause I know that You are good But way down deep inside 
I wish I understood Your faithfulness runs further than forever Sorry, the iPhone turned off. This is how new the song, sorry. Sorry. Your faithfulness is further than forever Farther than and I could ever see Still it seems that you are sleeping through this weather But I trust you completely Just as you please Just as you please You have never let me down I'm sure of this one thing When I felt kicked around right here listening so punctuate my life with hallelujahs tattoo it on my soul for all to see and I'll be careful Lord to bring the honor to you receive it now your glory Just as you please Just as you please.